You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, He. Scripture tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. How does our perspective on God's size and power affect the way we live our lives? In this teaching, we'll be talking about God's interaction with Job and how we would do well to remember who He is. Have you ever been called out? Like real good and called out, like you deserved it. You crossed the line, you said something you shouldn't have, you said something you were wrong about, and you got called out. I have. Uh, In my freshman year of college, it was just the first few days of being on campus, and I was in a dorm room with some guys that I was really just getting to know. And for some reason, the topic of conversation turned towards life in Mexico. And uh, I don't know exactly why, but I decided to uh, just add my two cents into the conversation. And I said something uh, that to this day is one of my greatest moments of shame. I said something along the lines of, well, you know, they're so poor in Mexico that they eat rice and beans for every meal. And uh, before you get really, really mad at me, understand what I was basing this on. See, what I think was happening here is my parents had gone on a mission trip whenever I was young, and I had had a conversation with them about that and seen a picture uh, based on their experience um, at that mission or on that mission trip. And what I was doing is I was taking this one secondhand conversation about their experience in a very specific place of Mexico, and I was just sort of applying that to the whole of Mexico. But that's not the problem. The problem is there was actually a person there who was bold enough to look me in the eye and say, well, that's not true. And I remember my pride just sort of like creeping up inside of me and my arrogance. And I looked at him and I said, well, how would you know? Uh, To my dismay, this person was from Mexico and uh, he grew up there. That's where his family was from. And he had actually come to the States to attend college. And so if anyone knew anything about life in Mexico more than me, it would be this individual. I got called out hard because I was speaking on something I was not actually the authority on. I was speaking about something that I didn't actually know that much about. Call out stories are great. They're better when they happen to somebody else than when they happen to you. So let's talk about some of those. I heard a story once of a lady who was getting onto an elevator and as the elevator doors were closing, she turned to the lady next to her and she said, hey, when's the baby due? Only to find out that there is not a baby due, nor had there ever been a baby due. They had to ride a few floors together in a very awkward silence. Or maybe uh, you had this experience like I did. Were you ever in a a book uh, or a a school about a book or a class about a book, a school about a book? An entire school would be really boring if it was just about one book, but I guess that's what seminary is. So maybe that's not so boring. (laughs) Have you ever been in a class where you're studying a book and somebody gets called on and they very clearly haven't read the material, right? But they try and represent like they have read the material. I had this happen once. We were reading the book, The Giver, and one of my friends got called on. He was like, I really like how giving the main character is. He's just very giving and he gives a lot. And of course the teacher, what does she do? She, she calls him out. You have not read this book. You have not read this book. He was speaking on something that he didn't actually have the knowledge on and he got called out. One of my favorite call out moments in the Bible takes place in the book of Job. 
And if you've never read the book of Job, if you've never read this moment, you are in for a treat this morning uh, because it is epic. The book of Job is a part of what's known as the wisdom literature. And it deals primarily with the suffering of the subject of the book Job and all these things that are happening to him. In the first two chapters, this, this situation that's sort of um, allowed by God where all these really terrible things start happening to Job. He, he loses all of the stuff in his life. His family dies, uh, his, his uh, wealth is taken from him, his health is gone, all these realable, really terrible things. And then after those two chapters, there are about 35 chapters where he's having this conversation with some friends. I'm using air quotes here for those of you who are listening and not watching. Friends, where they're sort of going back and forth and talking about what is happening in Job's life. And we don't have time to read all of these chapters here this morning. So I'm going to kind of summarize it for you. Essentially, Job's friends are going on and on, just sort of pontificating to one another and bloviating. Those are words I looked up in the dictionary for today. And uh, talking to Job about how he must have done something wrong in his life. And that's why all these terrible things are happening to him. Job, you must have wronged God in some way. You must, have, you must have done something wrong. You must have made him mad and now he is punishing you. And, and Job is sort of defending himself and he's saying, well, no, no, I haven't done anything wrong. And actually we know that this is true because in, in chapter two, God says this, that Job hasn't done anything wrong. He's picked because he's righteous. And so Job's saying, well, I haven't done anything wrong to his friends. And he's sort of praising God and then like defending God and then sort of getting upset with God and then coming back and defending himself to his friends. And there's just all of this back and forth and arguing. And it all comes to a head in chapter 38, when believe it or not, God actually speaks up and addresses Job. This is what we're going to read. Job 38 verses one through three is where we're going to start here. Verse one, it says, then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. First of all, whoa, I would not want to be Job in this situation. This brings me to my very first point. This is one of the most eloquent points you'll ever hear in any sermon ever. So you better write this down. God is big. He's big. Sometimes we forget who God is. God is essentially saying here to Job from the eye of a storm, from the middle of a hurricane, from the center of a tornado, his voice raises up and says, Job, why are you talking about things you do not understand? Put on your big boy pants, Job. I've got some questions to ask you. Terrifying. I don't know if you had a dad like mine, but my dad could do this, this sort of experience where you're just like doing your thing. And I would be like, maybe be in the other room, like harming my sister a little bit or like bothering her or whatever. And how many of you know, like sisters are a protected class in families, right? Like I would, I would be doing something or I left something out in another room and I would just hear my dad's voice, you know, just like oh, the hair on the, I, right now it's happening. I'm picturing it. Like the hair on the back of my neck stands up. Fathers have this power, this voice. And this is sort of what we're seeing here with God's interaction with Job. Sometimes God's interactions with man um, can happen in sort of a gentle way. 
We see this a lot in scripture. We, we see him interacting with man through dreams or everybody really likes the still voice, right? Or perhaps the way that we see Christ interact with people in so much of the New Testament, it can be easy to forget God's size, but not here. Not here because from the center of a storm, God's voice is raised and he says, Job, why are you talking about things you do not understand? Dress for action like a man because I have some questions for you. Verse four, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, Job. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther. Here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, Job, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked should be shaken out of it? Point number two, God is really big. See, Job and his friends were talking about things that they could not and did not understand. And God shows up to remind Job of who he is. I think often we need reminded of our place. God uses a tone that only he can. Who else but God can speak from the middle of a storm? He begins to question Job and explain the complex intricacies of this universe in which we live. And there are things that we'll never be able to understand. He questions Job on issues that Job has no answers for. Job, where were you when I created the earth? Where were you when I formed its foundations? How exactly does the ocean stay in its place? Verse 14, he says, is, is it, it is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment, speaking of his creation. From the wicked, their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea? or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare, Job, if you know all this, where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then, right, Job? The number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? God is really, really big. Isaiah 55 verses eight and nine actually says it this way. This is God speaking to us. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
See, I don't think we are appreciating just how big of a difference there is between God and us. I don't think we are appreciating just how much higher God's way is than our ways. I think we get it in our head that we are still kind of like on the map. Like God is super, super smart. And we're just like a little bit smart. Like we're still on the bar graph, right? We're just, you know, one point over. Like we could just go up to God and be like, you know what, God, I am going to help you out today. Uh, Why don't you put me in charge of the tides and uh, you can take a break. You'll just have to manage literally everything else. Uh, I'll manage the tides though. Give you a little break in the tide. (laughs) Some God humor there for you, right? And uh, what's the worst that can happen, right? Like sure, like every ship on the planet could go down and people will drown and die, but like no big deal. Like what's the worst that can happen? That's just the tides. That's one thing that he manages on this planet that we have found ourselves. Like understand if we were in charge of things and we accidentally bumped something like the gravitational constant or the expansion rate of the universe just by one tiny little point on the dial, life as we know it would cease to exist. You live in a universe that is so delicately balanced so that you can exist that the idea of being in charge of any aspect of that should be overwhelming to you. And yet I I think we just kind of like deep down think, man, I could could probably handle it. I could probably handle some of it, but we can't. I was on my way once to see a friend's band perform and it was nighttime and I was driving in typical kind of Ohio wintry weather. And uh, there was this thing happening where the snow and hail was sort of happening at the same time. You guys are from Ohio, so you understand what I'm saying. And it was like falling at the same time. And as the wind was blowing it, it was actually kind of like falling this angle back past my car. You guys ever driven through this type of weather, right? Like if you've seen Star Wars, it's a lot like whenever they go into like warp speed and the stars stretch across like the front of the spaceship, right? That's what it sort of looks like. And so I'm driving through and I'm having a really difficult time seeing. Like all I can see because my headlights are just like shining is I can just sort of see like a few feet in front of me at a time. And I decide, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna turn on my brights because that's gonna help me see better. This is gonna be great. That's why we have brights, right? And so I turn on my brights and what happens? It illuminates all of these particles and all of this precipitation that's like flying past my windshield. And, and actually with my brights on, with a better view of what was going on, I could see less. See, this is exactly what we do with God. We say, God, if you would just reveal more to us, if you would just show us more about what's going on in this world and and kind of what's happening around me, if you would just give me a greater view, illuminate just a little bit more, God, I promise I would just be able to see where I'm going a little bit better. But do you know what God is saying to you? He's saying, no, you will not. And you cannot because we cannot interpret the complexity. We cannot see through the chaos. We are overestimating our abilities. God is much bigger than us. And so instead we need to keep right here and look at this little bit of light he's given us a few feet of the time. And we just slow down and we take it. We think God, if he would just give us a little better view of things, we would, we would be in such a better place but I think it's because we overestimate ourselves. We do. I think we think that the intellectual difference is a lot closer, 
God in, in scripture a lot calls us his children. We see Jesus interact um, using this term as well. He calls God his father. He says our father when he's making that famous prayer, right? And we think of ourselves as his children because that's what, he's call, what he calls us. And that's great. We are. It's awesome that he loves us like children. But I think what happens is we begin to think like, okay, well, since we're his children, that means that the intellectual difference is probably something like a parent and a child. Like that's what's taking place here. And I can see why you would think that because children are dumb. They are. I have some. I know. Children are dumb. I have a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, and I promise you every day of their life is just me trying to keep them alive because they are desperately trying to kill themselves. They don't know that they're trying to kill themselves, but they are. I have a one-and-a-half-year-old, Ray, and last year this time she was not mobile yet when it was nice enough to be outside. Thank goodness that it's nice enough to be outside again. And the other day we were outside and I put her down for the first time and we were just playing. I set her down and I promise you the first thing she did was sprint right into the road. She sprinted right into the road. Why? Because she has no perception of what's going on around her. She has no sense of the danger. She doesn't know that a car could be coming and not see her. She's just excited to be alive. And so I I see it. I get why you think that eh, maybe that's the intellectual difference. But here's the problem. I also have a four-year-old and he's already asking me questions I do not have the answer for. He's four. And it's funny too, like I'll try and answer it when he asks me, he'll like ask me some really like big question and I give him an answer and his brow just kind of furrows. And you can just kind of, he's just like, I don't think that's it, dad. Like he knows that my answer is not right, right? I can't even outwit a four-year-old. I'm his dad. Why do we think that's the intellectual difference? I don't think that is. I I want you to picture a goldfish in a bowl. Can you do that? Picture a goldfish in a bowl and it's swimming around in circles. And this goldfish has no idea where this bowl came from. This goldfish doesn't know how the water got into the bowl, doesn't know what those little blue pebbles are at the bottom of the bowl or why you put them there. Has no idea what that diver is doing at the bottom or that sunken treasure chest is doing there. Doesn't know what a sunken treasure chest is, has no appendages to open up that sunken treasure chest. Even if it did, it has no concept of intrinsic value if it found gold inside of that treasure chest. It's a fish swimming in circles. It doesn't know how it even got there, let alone that the New York Stock Exchange opened at some more points than it did the day before. It has no concept of the world at large. We are the fish. The intellectual difference between us and God can't be compared to father and child. The the love can be compared to father and child. God is so much bigger than we give him credit for. Honestly, I think we are not thinking of God enough and we are not thinking enough of God. If I was the enemy, this is exactly as I would want it to be. I wouldn't want you to focus on God all that often. And I certainly wouldn't want you to even begin to understand his size. Why? Because the moment that you even begin to comprehend how big your God is, it's over. This is David and Goliath stuff here, guys. Why did David have no fear? Because it wasn't about David and his little slinging stones. He knew how big his God was. And the sooner you begin to even scratch the surface of God's size, the sooner it's over. Because you walk through life with a disposition of confidence and strength. 
Understand, God is not trying to be a jerk here in his interactions with Job. He's not just trying to be snarky. I think it comes across that way because God is literally the only being on the universe who has the right to speak this way. Like this is why in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, uh, Jesus had just sent out 72 disciples to go out and like talk about him and evangelize and do their thing. And when they get back in verse 18, they're like excited. They're talking to Jesus. Jesus, we cast out demons in your name. Do you know what Jesus's first words were in response? He looks them in the eye and he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. There's no attaboy from Jesus in this moment. He reminds them of who he is. He is God. It's why in Proverbs, it says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Why? Because of who he is. This is a God who manages the chaos of the universe. If you hope to understand any aspect of it, you must first humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. It's why in Psalm 46, in 46, he says, be still and know that I am God. Pretty basic instructions here. This could honestly probably be translated as like, stop or sit still, right? You ever yelled, sit still at your child? My four-year-old, if I yell, sit still, it's just like, he's in his seat. He's like, I am dad, I'm sitting still, right? Sit still, stop moving and know that I am God. There's no reason to be worried. There's no reason to be concerned. I've got this. Know who I am, why God, he is. It's why when Moses asks God, hey, who should I say sent me when I go? What's his answer? This is so awesome. I am. Tell them I am sent you. Why? Because there's no better descriptor from the, for the creator of the universe. Tell them I am sent you. He is, he is. Listen, you aren't smart. You're not smart enough. Neither am I, but it's okay because he is. That's not our burden to bear. You aren't enough for yourself, for this world, but that's okay because he is. You aren't salvation for you or anyone else, but that's okay because he is. You aren't in charge of the sun or the moon, but it's okay because he is. You aren't aware of the complex intricacies and balances of this universe, but it's okay because he is. He is enough. He is salvation. He is in control and he is for us. This is good news. It's not just that he's powerful. It's not just that he's big. It's not just that he's in control. Yeah, he is all of those things, but he's all of those things and he's for us. What a good God that he's that size and yet he pays consideration to you. If I woke my kids up tomorrow and I said to them, hey, you know what today? I want you to get ready, put on your clothes, because today we're gonna go to Chuck E. Cheese and we're gonna get some pizza, we're gonna play some games, then we're gonna hop on over, get some ice cream, it's gonna be awesome, and then we're gonna swing by Target and you guys can pick out any toy that you want, doesn't matter how expensive, and I'm getting it for you. Do you know what my kids would do if I told them that? 
Oh man, they'd be over the moon. Lincoln would be jumping up and down so excited. Why? Because he has no reason to doubt me. He has no reason to, to doubt what I'm saying is the truth. I'm his father. Why would I say, Lincoln, let's go. Let's have, some, let's have some pizza. Let's enjoy a day together. And understand if I, who am evil, as scripture says, can give a good gift to my children, how much better th- can God deliver on his promises than me? He is God. He is good. He is considering you for you, loves you. This is a God who is for us. This is a God who said, I knit you together in your mother's womb. He's a God who says, I know the plans I've made for you, plans to prosper you. He's a God who says, I will renew a right spirit in you. Take out a heart of stone, replace it with a heart of flesh. I love you. If I care about the sparrow, why would I not care about you? And if you can manage the repercussions of a collapsing star on the other side of the cosmos, out beyond the edge of the inflationary universe, then why can he not fulfill a little old promise to little old me on this little blue marble? God is really, really big. And remember, Job was in in the midst of some of the most difficult things that you can imagine. It's not like it was all just hunky-dory for Job. He had lost his family, his wealth, his health, all gone. And understand that that God's response to Job wasn't even to answer the question, why am I suffering, God? Why is this happening to me? He doesn't answer that question. What does he do? He reminds Job of who he is. Because as soon as you grasp even the tiniest aspect of who God is and how big he is and how powerful he is, everything else just melts away. And so what should our response be? Well, it should probably be a lot like Job's. God actually continues on with his uh, passionate questioning, for lack of a better term, of Job all the way from chapter 38 to 41. You ever had one of those big, long lectures from your dad? This is it. We don't have time to read all of it this morning. We actually only got to verse 24 of chapter 38. I would encourage you to read this, especially if you're ever feeling high and mighty. Job's final response comes in at uh, chapter 42. This is what he says. Then Job answered the Lord and said, so notice the mirroring here from what we read at the beginning. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. When you are faced down with the size of God, there is only one option. It is to be face down at his glory in repentance. But see, Job didn't have access to something that we do because this story has continued since Job was written. Actually, Job is one of the oldest books 
of Scripture. It's one of the oldest texts. And since then, God sent His Son, whose name is Jesus, to come and prove the promise that He had made through all of the Old Testament that He was for us and that He was going to make a way for us and that He was going to reconnect to us. His goodness knows no bounds. His size is unfathomable. He demonstrated this through the sacrifice of Christ. And as we move towards Easter Sunday, I hope it begins with a little fear of God and his size. Don't you let another year pass without comprehending his power and goodness and presence in this world. Pastor Travis is gonna build on this next week as he talks about what God has for us in our lives. Because it's not just that he's big, it's not just that he loves us, it's that he actually wants to interact with us and use us. Man, I can't wait for you to hear about that next week. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.